0: It's time to
1: give up, get your ass up, throw your hands up and say, well. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your recovery meeting on the air. Welcome to Sober in the City. Here's your sobriety assistant, Debbie Strand.
0: I'm Debbie Strand, back with more Sober in the City, talking about how you can work a program of recovery and overcome your addictions, whatever they are, drugs, alcohol, gambling, smoking, shopping, food addictions, I don't care. And we all have life issues. We all experience them. And whether you're in recovery or not, whether you need recovery or not, we are here to help Call us now, share your opinion, tell me if you stayed sober through the weekend, how you did it, or why you're not staying sober. We all have a reason that we go back out, usually a resentment. Look for it. 800-SOBER-05 and visit us at soberinthecity.com and listen live on the Sober in the City app for Apple Android devices. You can hear this show and previous shows, share them with your friends, and give the show to your sponsee. Let me talk to them all night. We've already done the work. But right now, more about how did you know that you needed help? How did you get it? How hard was the transition? And how much better is it now? We're going to answer that and more. So the help I got was minimal. I didn't think the meetings were for me. And although I went to a few here and there, I was reaching out to a God that I didn't understand. I watched preachers on TV. I started to change the TV shows that I was watching. I watched things that retaught family values and good morals I read the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous and tried to do the steps, but I didn't understand them. Good reason to get a sponsor, people. I stopped acting out and I stopped lying. I started to be a better person. And in essence, I was starting to live the spiritual principles that we talk about in the program. I didn't go to a 12 step recovery program and get involved in that process for over a year. And I don't recommend that path to others, although it was mine, because in order to be comfortable and to keep myself from drinking and using, what I did was I isolated myself, and that was no life at all. After working the steps and doing the work on my issues, I've become comfortable with my sobriety and myself. I no longer fear going to places and doing things in most situations that I face. And when I am in fear, I walk through those fears the best way that I can anyway. So how did you get help? How did you ask for help? Were you refused? How hard was it to ask for help? We're going to go to the callers. We're going to start with Bobby Ray. Bobby Ray, welcome to Sober in the City.
2: Hello, Debbie. How are you doing?
0: (laughs) I'm great. Bobby Ray, my resident wanderer. Last time we talked, you were in Vegas. Are you still out in Vegas?
2: I'm still stuck in Vegas.
0: This this is wonderful. This man, in case you haven't listened to Sober in the City before and been graced with the presence of Bobby Ray, I love this guy. He bases out of, and his family is in the west coast of Florida, Tampa area, correct?
2: Oh, yeah, right there in Bradenton.
0: Okay, and he claims to be homeless, yet he does more traveling than I do with my chihuahua. (laughs) <laughs> on jets you know one day he's out in california then he's back in florida he's over in, uh, in uh, new orleans now he's up in vegas he's been up there for a couple of weeks bobby what you doing in vegas
2: Oh, uh, just making meetings and trying to help some people uh every time i try to leave here they ask me to go to a meeting to share somewhere and you know what the sponsor always says you can't say no <laughs> um <laughs>
0: Bobby, you're the best. I love you. My resident wanderer. So tell me, what kind of help did you get when you reached out for help? What did you get? How hard was it to ask? Well, tell me about that process. I didn't.
2: uh, It was real simple with me. I did not ask for help. Um, I had um, drinking use for 38 years. I had went to prison for the sixth time in Florida. And when I got out, I had five years of uh, probation and a hefty restitution. They would not let me go back to Louisiana, my home state, so they sent me to Naples, Florida to a homeless shelter. And I had I was one of those guys like the literature says in AA you go to the bitter end or seek spiritual help. Well, I should have had incomprehensible demoralization tattooed right on my forehead. I had, you know, just like the NA stuff says, jails, institutions, death, I I, I lived to use and used to live. And they sent me in there and I walked in there that night. I was not going to do one day of the paper or pay one penny of the restitution. And they said, you got to do 90 and Meaning 90.
0: Meaning you got to go watt. to 90 meetings in 90 days. So basically it felt yeah, like it, a it, sentence, didn't it? I know when they told me to do that, well, I was like, I cried. I was like, oh my God, I can't do that. Are you kidding me? It's like, that was so overwhelming. Well, I,
2: was, I was really confused. I asked, I said, "On 90 what? He said, 90 meetings. I said, what kind of meetings? He said, you know, A-A-N-A-C-A, one of them A's. And the judge <laughs> in Florida had actually, because I've never been convicted of DUI, had signed a five-year no-drinking order on me. And I was like, really? And so I made my first meeting the next night there, and I heard a girl say, don't pick up no matter what, and just for today. And I kind of looked up. She was looking right at me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so for me, coming into the rooms of recovery, I never had a problem with it because it actually, coming out of prison, was like a step up for me. (laughs) And um I did exactly what they said do. I got a sponsor. I worked the steps. So uh, my life changed.
0: Well, I think coming out of prison, at least you had a little bit of structure. I mean, i was still living on the streets and on total self-will think, um, like a moron.
2: Well, I think the best thing about it was when I come into the rooms, I was already 21 months and five days sober. See? And so I wasn't, you know, everybody has a different bottom. I only believe there's two bottoms. The one that gets us in the room to stay in the graveyard. And it was just set up the way it was set up. Um, I had, like I said, I had no intention of getting straight, but um, I found 12-step recovery and my life changed drastically.
0: Share with us, Bobby, what did it feel like? What did it look like when you said, you know what, I need help? Or was it just you sitting in the prison cell and realizing, oh, this isn't working for me?
2: Oh, no, I had no intention. I Believe me, I was so happy they were going to let me out because I figured I had one more run in me. But I had been there in Naples about three days, and I went to a morning meeting. I was going to drink that morning. I'd been out three days. And I walked in the morning meeting, and I stuck my hand, hand up, and I said, I'm a newcomer. And they did a first-step meeting on me right there, and uh, I just kept coming back. Uh, I laid a tremendous amount of meetings my first 90 days because I couldn't work, because I didn't have an ID. So I would go to the, to the clubhouse, and I would make five or six meetings a day. Bobby, and,
0: um, Bobby, there's people <laughs> sitting out there going, no way. I'm not walking into a meeting. How do I do that? Would you talk about how that was, how it felt to walk into your first meeting, how that went for you, and, and what you saw and what you were faced with?
2: Well, my, my very first meeting was at the New Attitudes Club there in Naples. Uh, half the room was filled with people from the homeless shelter. The other half of the people in the room were all millionaires. But when I walked in there and I got to listening to their stories, you know, how they stayed sober one day at a time, and I started identifying, man, if these people can do it, why can't I do it? You know, and I was actually going to meetings about 12 days before I made a conscious decision to try the recovery program. And, um, I just, um, I'm like everybody else. When I first come in, I got angry, I felt full of guilt. But one day at a time, and getting that sponsor, you know, they gave me a big book, and, um, uh, you know, uh, I was just blessed. I was just blessed from the first day.
0: Did the people treat you right when you got there? How did they treat you? What oh,
2: they t- they treated me so wonderfully. I couldn't believe it. Um, I just, you know, because I couldn't work. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any clothes. I was 1,200 miles from home. I didn't have a phone. And I would come out of the meeting, and they would take me to breakfast. Uh, I would come out of the meeting, and say, "Hey, man, you want to go make twenty dollars and just let me move some furniture?" I mean, it was just. Uh, and over and over and over, and and baby, that was nine years ago, and these people are still my friends to date,
0: <laughs> and you raised you, know, you uh, simply walked into that room and raised your hand and asked for help, said, "I need help. I'm trying well, to do this yeah thing.
2: and that you know most meetings I'll ask is is, is is this anybody's first meeting, or is this your first time here and I just raised my hand and uh they said, uh who are you?" And I told them I was, and they said, uh." Well, we're going to do a first step meeting, and they and they had these old timers. They had four people in the room that were forty years sober from Boston and Worcester and uh, they shared uh, their first meetings. And I'm looking at these guys, and I'm, they're like they're forty years sober, and uh, wow, and it just overwhelmed me. But uh, I just I just did what they said do. <laughs>
0: When i first came in i really couldn't relate to the people that had a bunch of time like 40 years it just my brain just couldn't wrap around it it was really weird how i just couldn't comprehend it it was like a a foreign concept that it just wasn't working but the guy that sat in front of me that had 30 days or 60 days i look at the guy with 30 days and go you know what maybe i can do that i can try that there was a girl that was real cleaned up and pretty and she had seven years and i thought man all I got to do is get seven years. And when I passed seven years, I got really scared. Like in my seventh year, I went to meetings all the time, like crazy meetings, <laughs> because I thought, okay, I hit that pinnacle. Now what am I going to do? I got to pick another one right. or something. But Exactly. But, and I think it's really valid too, Bobby. And, and I don't want to put out too much of a message of show up in recovery and everybody there will, you know, hold your hand and fix everything for you. There was a lot of work that you had to do, Bobby Ray. And there's consistency. You can't just show up to one meeting and expect everyone to come around you and do things for you I think you have to show up consistently to show that you are wanting the help and when you walk in didn't you experience that there's kind of clicks because the winners are sticking together
2: yeah it was kind of like that and I was really not sociable myself I would walk out of the meeting the next meeting of uh, the building itself. and finally one of them old timers from New Orleans rode in there on a the motorcycle every day walked down there and said Hey, where are you from? I said, Well, I'm from Shreveport. And he said, Well, I'm from New Orleans. And he sat down beside me and he talked to me. And this guy was 23 years sober. And um, he was the first guy that really reached out to me personally on a one on one level. And um, But it is, you're true. It's right, Debbie. You got to keep coming back. And believe me, um, not everybody in the room is going to be sociable with you that's <laughs> just right just well not. we have to
0: protect ourselves too because we get hurt a lot by that's the true. newcomers that come in and they're still very sick and they don't they don't behave properly and while we don't shoot our wounded we don't let our wounded <laughs> shoot us either bobby ray thank you so much for sharing with us today at sober in the city thank You so much debbie we're going to bring in kevin from new georgia georgia kevin welcome to sober in the city
3: Hello, Debbie. How are you?
0: I'm great, Kevin. Thanks. Thanks for being here with us today. Can you tell us what did it look like when you reached out for help? Did you reach out for help?
3: Debbie, really, I didn't reach out for help. The person that I had been using with the biggest majority of my life saying that I needed some help, and and that's where it started at, you know. um, And you know it took mean, you know for me it took a while after I went to the facility that I went to a couple of weeks before I seen you know that my way wasn't working and I needed to try something different you know and, and that's where it started at.
0: Kevin share about that how did you know that your way wasn't working what were you doing and what consequences were you feeling that made you want to make a change?
3: Well you know for me Debbie it was like looking in the mirror, I hated the person that I looked at, and basically, you know, I hated everybody that was around me, and, and basically, that's what the person told me, that it was a sibling that I'd used with for over a couple decades, and, and um, he told me, you know, he said, you hate everybody, and you hate yourself, you know, you have to go somewhere and try to find some help, and, and that's where it started, you know, and I was in a facility for a few weeks, you know, and then I went to a a recovery house and, and all this started in in uh gastonia north carolina about let's see i celebrated 12 years on monday
0: congratulations and
3: uh, and you know i was in a recovery house and after being there for about seven months you know the house burnt down with some of us in it okay. and uh and you know and then after i had about a year clean you know because i go to a fellowship that you know, it deals with addiction, you know, and, and um, after I had about a year clean, I moved to Atlanta, and uh, I got right involved, you know, I mean, always had a sponsor and always been active in my recovery and always worked the steps and try to help some people, you
0: know. When you were going through that process... And you know what? I was pretty pissed off when I got sober, too. It took me a long time to not be an angry person. How did you all of a sudden see? Because I just thought the whole world was wrong. How did you start to see that it might have been you?
3: Well, you know, um, really, that's an issue that I still have to work on the day a lot, you know, because anger is one of the things that uh, kept me sick my whole life, you know. And, And, you know, after... I mean, you know, because what well, knowing it looking at me and knowing that that I might be part of the problem is because, you know, I didn't know how to live. I mean, you know, I didn't know how to take care of myself. I didn't know how to take care of my kids. I didn't know how to do anything but use dope, you know.
0: Right. I could understand that. And I was taught that anger masks sadness. So I had to be able to identify what was I sad about and we're taught in recovery when we're going through our fourth step and we do the turnarounds to look where our part in situations is what our responsibility is, is to go right to the fear. It's usually the fear of being alone and and, and abandoned. So I have to look at where is something bringing that up. Our fears are usually I'm afraid of losing what I perceive as mine or not getting what I want. So when I see that And I understand that then I can't get angry at the world. I can go get sad and I can grieve and I could take that downtime. Like we just spoke about in our last show number show number 85. It's at sober in the You could hear a lot of people were grieving a lot of loss and loss of our lifestyle in drinking and drugging and, and just different things and people that passed away and different situations. And you can grieve the loss of relationships and friendships and, just different things and be in fear of moving forward and I think that grieving process is really important otherwise it's going to come out in other behaviors such as anger and acting out and self-seeking behaviors does that make sense to you Kevin
3: yeah Debbie it makes that makes a lot of sense I mean you know for me I come you know I come from a very dysfunctional family and um you know had a lot of resentments against my father growing up you know because he he actually died from this disease at the age of 46 years old. And, and I really, until I got in the program and, and started doing some work, I really didn't understand, you know, why things was the way they are, you know. But after I got in this program, you know, I seen that, that he had the same disease that I had. I mean, that I have, not that I had, you know, that I have, you know. And, mm-hmm. and for me, um, you know, I worked on a lot of that stuff and, and, uh, you know, to the best of my ability and got okay with it, you know. And, and through my life, there was a lot of, you know, just a lot of being alone and, you know, because I come from a, a poor background, you know, and and uh, today I ain't saying I'm rich, but I'm rich on the inside, you know.
0: That's awesome.
3: And, uh, I mean, you know, for me, it's about, you know, today I, I go... You know, today I, I still attend meetings like I did when I first got clean, and it's not because, you know, afraid of using drugs any longer. It's about trying to help people that come in in the same place that I came in at, you know, because they told me when I come out of the place that I was in in, in a treatment, you know, go to a meeting as soon as you get out. And, they, and the counselor told me, that's actually one of my best friends today in North Carolina, he told me, he said, when you go in there, I'm going to use a little bit better language than he told me, you know, he said, when you go in there, he said, tell them that you all messed up and you need some help. And you know, that's exactly what I did. And and where I got clean at, it was more like a, and, and it's exactly what I needed. It was more like a tough love program. I mean, you know, they didn't pat me on the back and say, Kevin, it's going to be okay. You know, they told me, he said, Kevin, if you continue to do what you've been doing, you're probably going to die. And, um, you know, for me, that that's the same way that I look at it today, you know, um, and today my life has is, is changed, you know, just like it says in the literature, it's beyond my wildest dreams.
0: Kevin, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, I needed that tough love, too, and what I learned on in later years was Coming from that dysfunctional family, I actually thought my family was pretty normal because it was the only family that I knew, and that's how I was raised. But there was some dysfunction, and they didn't know any better. And to walk around and just go, okay, they did the best they could wasn't yet good enough. What I needed to realize was with the different dysfunctions, with the aunts, with the uncles, with the cousins, with the brothers, the parents, the grandparents, and all these different things that were around me. If you picture a family tree and then me down at the bottom of the trunk, how could I have become anything? else except for what i had became because what that did for me is that gave me a lot of self-acceptance it gave me a lot of self-forgiveness and i got to look at some of these things as character traits instead of defects i don't like how the program says that some of these things are defects yes the way we're acting out in our self-seeking behaviors i believe that those are defects and we can change those we can also change these character traits i can't change the fact that they gave me green eyes but they gave me green eyes the same way that they gave me the dysfunction that they gave me so i'm able to understand that with my family and and actually grieve the loss of thinking I came from a normal family. (laughs) Hi, Mom. (laughs) Let's go to Brian in California before I get myself totally cut off from my family. (laughs) Kevin, thank you so much for being here with Sober in the City.
3: Thank you, Debbie.
1: Hi, how you doing?
0: Brian, welcome. We're doing well. You hear what we're sharing about today? Save me. Talk about something. (laughs) Let me stop talking about my family right now.
1: Okay, all right. Well, we can we can talk about my family, but we'd be here all week. So, I hear you talking <laughs> about, you know, sort of what got me to the point where I wanted to reach out for right. help. Right. And, and what what did it, like it look help. like?
0: And what did it look like when you asked for help? Was somebody there for you? How yeah. did you do that? How did that process work for you?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, when I when I reached out for help, the point that I had gotten to was basically either suicide or stopping. Those were my only two choices that I had left. Um, I I was six foot tall and weighed 142 pounds, dripping wet. Oh, God. Um, And, you know, I was just out on the streets running, gunning. I'd I'd gotten fired from my job at the strip club as a a, uh, doorman slash whatever um, (laughs) because I drank too much. And yeah, you got to drink pretty heavily to, to <laughs> get fired from a strip club for drinking.
0: <laughs> That's what I was thinking. It's pretty much a requirement, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, the the this point that I got to basically told me, all right, I'm going to have to go and uh, off myself because I can't stop. I tried. Um, I tried cutting back. That didn't work. I tried stopping altogether. That didn't work. Um, I had... A roommate who went to a meeting and I remember when he told me that it was it was the freakiest thing ever they lit candles and they all sat around in the dark and held hands and I said oh gosh I'm never gonna go to anything like that <laughs> well about three weeks later I was in that very same meeting and that meeting actually became my home group um, but the way I got there was first I tried to, uh, I tried to kill myself. I, I had a motorcycle, and I tried, uh, I tried to drink as much as I could and go for a long ride on a, on, a, on a mountain, and somehow I ended up surviving. And so when I reached out for help, I did what any, um, I was 23 years old at the time, I, I did what any good 23-year-old man would do is I, I called my mom, <laughs> and <Of course>. I <laughs> And I told her that uh I was having problems that I was uh, smoking a lot of cocaine um that I was drinking a lot and that I wanted to stop. And what she told me was, "All right, well you can come home if you want to. Um you can you can stay on our couch, but you're going to have to go to some of those meetings." And I kind of I felt this sinking in the pit of my stomach when she said those meetings because I'd, I'd been to one of those meetings before. And I remembered that they you know, talked about God, which I didn't like. And they passed a basket, and I knew that they were after my money. Um, what money? I don't know. <laughs> but, but they were after it. And you know they were weird they held hands so not only it was a church it was a gay church <laughs> and and I didn't like that very much but but I also didn't like dying and and so what I did was I, I went I came back I came back home and I, I went to one of these meetings and the funny thing was is okay so they asked you know and just like um, one of the gentlemen I was on earlier said, you know, when they said, raise your hand if you're new and I felt like all eyes were on me, you know, and I I don't even remember if I was the only um, one with 30 days there. I probably wasn't, but I felt like I was because after all, I've got an amazingly huge ego, even though I had a terribly low self-esteem. So I thought that everybody was staring at me and, You know, then after the meeting or at the break, I can't even remember at this point, um, some people came up and talked to me, and they asked me, they said, what are you willing to do? And I saw the steps up on the wall, and I said, well, uh, I'm willing to do whatever you got. And they said, okay, well, then let's find you a sponsor, and, and you can take the steps. And so I don't think I got a sponsor that night. Took me maybe a week or two to get a sponsor, and you know, started basically started started doing this thing. I started getting little commitments at meetings where I was a, I, I would you know help make the coffee or I would clean out the ashtrays. Um, yeah, there were ashtrays back in those days, <laughs> yeah, right. and you know uh, the 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 rooms were this haze of smoke it was great <laughs> and uh, you know what what ended up happening was is i got i got better you know um, I didn't get perfect um, you know I've gone through periods of of dry drunk where I didn't go to any meetings and I was crazier than a blank house rat (laughs) and it it wasn't it wasn't very fun and then when i would come i came back to meetings after a long dry spell and this was about now maybe six almost seven years ago that i've been back to meetings and it's been the weirdest thing um i went from being an executive in california and having a house and a car, and you know, all these other things. To, um, I'm now, a, uh, I'm, I'm now a substance abuse counselor in Oregon. I work with, uh, adjudicated youth, um, males who are a lot like I was. And I'm able to look at these 17, 18, 19 year old kids and show them where they're like me and they don't believe it, you know, um, but it's, you know, they may not stay sober, but I will.
0: Right.
1: And it's, it's just an awesome life that I have for myself. And I still have a sponsor and I still go to meetings and I still, um, have service positions. I'm going to hospitals and institutions meeting tonight. I'm working with a sponsee tonight. Um, you know, I've got a busy life. Um, you know, I have a second wife now, and uh, she's awesome. And you know, I wouldn't have any of these things in my life if I didn't have, you know, the the steps which led me to this wonderful thing that I've got. That's
0: fantastic. Thank you. A great testimony, Brian. Brian, thank you for being here with Sober in the City. Thank you, Bobby Ray. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Brian. When we come back, more about how did you know you needed help? How did you get it? How hard was the transition? And how much better is it now? We'll answer that in more one 800 sober We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors who make this show possible. Maybe you can take a chance and ask someone to be your sponsor. Not that hard to do. We'll be right back. suffering addict, or alcoholic? Is someone you know struggling with this disease? Let the Freedom From Addiction Foundation assist you with our acclaimed intervention and recovery coaching services. For a very affordable fee, we can set up and perform on-site interventions, ongoing treatment supervision, and personalized recovery and life coaching services. We are local, we are a nonprofit group, and we can work within your financial parameters by accepting most major credit cards and working with or without your insurance. Call today, 1-877-876-2329. 1-877-876-2329. Again, that's 1-877-876-2329. Are you a suffering addict or alcoholic? Is someone you know struggling with this disease? Recovery starts with one phone call. Call the Freedom From Addiction Foundation today, 877-876-2329.